Hey everybody, John Navar here with another pre-episode update for you in June of 2022. When this part two episode on the Egyptian Museum was recorded back in July of 2017, a few things were different than they are now. So I just wanted to record a quick prescript on the major differences. First, as you may imagine, a lot of the old museum's contents has now been moved over to the new Grand Egyptian Museum for restoration and cleaning and in anticipation of the gym's opening later this year. However, there's still a lot left in the old museum. You see, the thing is, the old museum used to be so cluttered with artifacts just flung anywhere and not really labeled or displayed correctly, just crowded in there, that even when they started transferring a lot of the collection over to the new museum, what was left still looked like a fully stocked, normal museum because it was so cluttered before, and now it just looks normal. This museum is expected to stay open and display a lot of artifacts even after the gym opens, so don't worry if you're coming to Egypt before the gym opens. Between this old museum and the other new museum, which already is open, the National Museum of Egyptian Civilization, you'll still get to see a lot of Egypt's collection of ancient artifacts and treasures. Second, this episode also talks about the mummy rooms in the museum. Now, the mummies were moved over to that other new museum I just talked about, the National Museum of Egyptian Civilization, or NEMIC, as the acronym goes, back in April of 2021. So those are still on display for everyone to see, but in the new NEMIC museum instead of in the old museum that we're still talking about here. But I left this part in the episode anyway because of the detail I go into about how incredible these mummies are. So I still wanted you to be able to hear about all of that. But just remember that there's now no extra ticket for anything inside of the old museum. So when you hear me talking about an extra ticket for the mummy's room in this museum, that's outdated. And finally, at the time of the recording of this episode, the museum's gift shop had been closed for quite some time. That has now reopened and is quite large and has a nice selection of books and replicas and souvenir gifts of really good quality, things like that. That is on the way out of the museum and you'll have to pass through it as you exit so don't worry about missing it. You'll see that, even though in this old episode, I was talking about how it had been closed for quite some time. Okay, those are all of the current updates to this previous episode. As with many things in Egypt, a lot changes, but a lot stays the same. So with those few updates in mind, enjoy this episode as I finish up talking about the experience of visiting the Museum of Egyptian Antiquities in Tahrir Square. are back with Egypt Travel Blog podcast episode number seven, which is part two of the podcast episode on the Egyptian Museum. We split it into two because there was just so much awesomeness there. We wanted to make sure you got it all. We didn't want to drag the episodes out too long. So part two of the episode on the Egyptian Museum. So we left off talking about what to expect to find in the museum. And specifically, we were talking about the collection of King Tut's famous treasures that are housed there in the Egyptian Museum in Cairo. We walked through some of the treasures in the outer rooms of the exhibit and the collection, and I just walked you right up to this really neat, modern, secluded room at the back of the museum, the back center, upper floor, which is where King Tut's most famous, most amazing, most incredible treasures are stored and displayed for you to come check out. This is also where several of his consecutive layers of sarcophagi are, like I was talking about earlier. The larger outer ones are made of wood, but they're covered in gold and inlaid with precious jewels. They're huge. 
and they're really heavy, but they're really beautiful. But the big daddy of them was slightly smaller because it was one of the inner sarcophagi, but it is made of pure solid gold. And inside of that was laid the mummified body of the famous boy king himself over 3,300 years ago when he unexpectedly died after a fall from his chariot, so they said in the official hieroglyphic accounts. Pharaohs went through lengthy mummification processes that perhaps we'll get into more in detail in another episode. I might even bring on an expert on that stuff to talk about it because it's quite a detailed process. But suffice it to say for now that it was part science, part religious ritual. The high priest would do all kinds of things to preserve the physical body, which worked astonishingly well, as you'll see when you visit the mummies. Then he wrapped the body in linens and usually inlaid some amulets and things in between the layers. Then a solid gold funeral mask inlaid with precious stones and jewels was placed over the head and shoulders of the dead pharaoh before the lid was placed on the solid gold inner sarcophagus. And that one was put inside of another, which was put inside of another, which was put inside of another, and so on. Until usually these were placed inside of like a thick stone outer one in the tomb, and then that was sealed for eternity. And then the tomb was sealed for eternity. I say all this to explain the significance of the most famous and beautiful piece of King Tut's treasure collection, which nearly anyone who's seen anything about Egypt has surely seen, and that's his funeral mask. That one object, King Tut's funeral mask, defines Egypt in the minds of nearly everyone on the planet, and it's on display at the center of this upstairs back room in the Egyptian Museum. Except on very rare occasions when it's taken out for cleaning or limited touring, it's always on display here. It's very rare for Egypt to let high-value artifacts leave the country on tour, and extremely rare for this one artifact to be included among what does go on tour, so you shouldn't have to worry too much about that. I think I've only been there one time when it was out for cleaning, too, and I think that was in 2013. So generally, you shouldn't have to worry about it not being there. It's almost always there, and it is always an incredible, incredible sight to behold. The crowds in the museum and into this key room in particular tend to ebb and flow. So if you're in there and too many people are crowded around King Tut's burial mass, give it about 30 minutes or so and come back and try the room again. I've been there when dozens are hovering and I've been there when I've had it all to myself too on a couple of occasions. So keep that in mind. This is obviously the most famous and sought after object in the museum. But there's certainly more than this that's still amazing, even among King Tut stuff, and also certainly more than just King Tut stuff in the museum. The second most visited collection in the Egyptian Museum is probably the Mummy Collection, or the Mummy Room. Now, as I said earlier, there's an extra ticket you have to buy to get inside of the Mummy Room, but it's really worth it, I promise. This room is a little more modern, too, because they basically had to create a special space with special conditions inside of it to help preserve these royal bodies now that they're not fully mummified and buried and sealed in those arid desert tombs anymore. So that's why they charge an extra ticket for it. It's a big process to upkeep and prevent the mummies from decaying. Okay, in here, you can see the actual bodies of some of Egypt's greatest and most famous pharaohs, some of whom you'll have heard of and some of whom you probably won't have heard of, but were really, really important in Egyptian history nevertheless. In fact, so sacred were they that the only reason their mummies are still around is because as things were falling all apart and going to hell in Egypt and grave robbers were plundering tombs and such thousands of years ago, there were these two dedicated and loyal priests named Penujum I and II who took as many pharaoh's bodies as they could get from their resting places in the tombs and hid them in a secret location for safekeeping. 
And this they stayed there for thousands of years. In 1881, the secret mummy hiding place was discovered. And thankfully, during the beginning of the period when archaeologists and the local Egyptian authorities were also working really hard to preserve finds like this and study them. Some of the mummies could be identified relatively quickly because, as we learned earlier, they were finally starting to be able to read hieroglyphics and could read some of the names on the objects wrapped up in the linens. But still, other mummies couldn't be identified positively until recently, and that's only through the use of DNA testing. It's pretty wild, huh? As I keep saying, all of Egypt is still an active archaeological site, and they're still digging stuff up and learning new things every day. DNA testing mummies and so on and so on. Okay, so back to the mummy room. Because of this twist of ancient and modern history I just described, you can now go see the actual mummies of the pharaohs, like Ramses I, the second, the third. It's the second one, by the way, who we call Ramses the Great. He's the one depicted on some of Egypt's greatest and largest monuments, like the ones down at Abu Simbel. Let's see. Uh, you've got Achmos I. Actually, he liked Tut. He came to the throne really, really early. He was young. He was about 10 years old, too, I believe. And he is the pharaoh who went on to battle the Hyksos, and he kicked those suckers out of northern Egypt and liberated the area and united Egypt once again. You probably haven't heard of him, but he's a really, really famous or really important pharaoh in Egyptian history. Famous to Egyptologists. You've also got Thutmose III in there, who was famous for being actually Hepshetsut's stepson, whom she managed to brush aside and rule herself after the death of her husband and his father. And you've got Hepshetsut herself in there. She's in the mummy room. And she was quite the woman and quite the ruler of Egypt, too. You may recall me talking about her in a previous episode. And I'll talk about her more later when we do the episode on Luxor, because her mortuary temple's down there, and that is not to be missed also. But anyway, these are just some of the mummies of the pharaohs of ancient Egypt that you can see in the mummy room of the Egyptian Museum. And what's more is that you can get up close and personal with them, too. There's only a layer of glass separating you from their mummified faces. Their bodies are mostly covered because Egyptians believe in modesty of dress and they think it's highly improper and disrespectful to show someone's body uncovered, even if they've been dead for 4,000 years. But you can see their faces and you can see how well their skin is preserved, even if it's dried out. You can see their hair, which is still really well preserved. You can see their fingernails. Some even have their eyelashes still. And you'll notice the slightly deformed and elongated shape of some of their heads. Remember, there was a lot of inbreeding going on in the royal houses back then, back in those days, just like in the more modern times in Europe. Remember the Habsburg chin? You had this in ancient Egypt too, royal inbreeding. It's just really amazing. So make sure you take the time to really spend some time in the mummy room and absorb what you have the privilege of looking at so up close and personal when you're there. It's really, really incredible. Moving on. There's also an animal mummy room, by the way. It's on the opposite side of the building from the pharaonic mummy room and kind of tucked away into a corner. So if you're interested in seeing like 4,000-year-old cats and alligators that the Egyptians revered enough to mummify, make sure you look for that collection or ask somebody if you can't find it. In one of the inner rooms, remember how I said the floor plan is kind of a hallway around a rectangle? There's like an outer hallway and some inner rooms off that outer hallway too. So in one of the inner rooms is a wooden statue known as Sheikh al-Balit. It's actually a statue of a guy named Ka'apur, who lived about 5,000 years ago. And he was a royal scribe and what well, they also call it a lector priest, which means he was the priest who verbally recited and sung the spells and hymns during the official ceremonies and rituals and things like that. He wasn't high ranking, but this wooden statue of him 
survived and was found by a French archaeologist in the 1800s. And the remarkable thing about this item in the museum is how lifelike it is in the face because of how round and well-proportioned the carving is. And also because of the inlaid eyes, which are made of copper and like rock crystal and milky quartz for the whites of the eyes, it's really neat to look at. And um, make sure you don't miss that. It's really cool. So that's the uh, the wooden Sheikh al-Balad statue, which means, by the way, village chief in Arabic, Sheikh al-Balad. And they called it that because when they excavated it, the local workers at the camp were actually shocked when they pulled it out of the ground at how much the statue looked like their actual village chief then in the 1800s. So they called the piece the village chief, which is Sheikh al-Balad in Arabic, Sheikh al-Balad. So if you don't see that, ask for it. It's really neat to look at. Another set of pieces I think are really neat are the Greek sarcophagi. The British Museum in London has a couple of these too, I noticed when I was there earlier this year. But you can get more up close and personal with the ones in Cairo, the Egyptian museum. Remember that after Alexander the Great conquered Egypt in 332 BC, Egypt became part of the Macedonian Greek Empire. And after Alexander's untimely death, about nine years later, his Macedonian Greek generals split up the empire and a general named Ptolemy got Egypt. And he founded the Ptolemaic dynasty of pharaohs, which were not really pharaohs because the real Egyptian pharaohs had been conquered and deposed by then, but it was still close enough to when Egypt was a real empire. And Ptolemy's family somewhat revered Egypt's history and local traditions, so they adopted many of Egypt's customs and blended them in with their imported Greek ones. So from this period, you have really, really unique art and architecture and artifacts like ancient Egyptian-style sarcophagi with the heads painted on the outside of them that are clearly Greek because they have white skin and short curly hair and you can see the tunics over their shoulders and such. A couple of these Greek things sarcophagi that have been discovered are on display here in the museum. And I think they're on the left-hand side, one of the inner rooms on the lower level, if I remember correctly. It's not the lower level, it's the second level up, but it's definitely on the left-hand side of the building if you're standing at the entrance looking in. That's where those Greek sarcophagi are. Okay, so those are a couple of my favorite things in the Egyptian Museum, combined with some of those popular things, which, of course, are also my favorite things, too. Now, one thing I haven't covered yet is the opening hours. Generally, and when I say generally, by the way, don't hold me to it 100% of the time, because it's Egypt and things change for unique or no reasons at all in Egypt, but Generally, the museum's open every day from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., except, and this is a big except, except during Ramadan, when it usually closes about 5 in order to allow the staff to have time to get home and break the fast each day. That's a big thing there, and I think you would think it was a big thing, too, if you couldn't eat all day. Believe me, I tried it when I first lived in Egypt, and it lasted about a day and a half. So, mad respect for Muslims who can go all day without food or drink until the sun goes down during Ramadan. So, that's Ramadan. The opening hours for everything in Egypt actually shift during Ramadan. So if you're going during Ramadan, you'll need to check hours for everything and don't expect restaurants to be open during the day or have normal menus if they are, except in large hotels. And Ramadan shifts earlier and earlier every year, by the way, the dates for it. So you'll have to Google that too if you think your trip might fall over part of Ramadan, which usually lasts a whole month. Right now in 2017, it's during June. And it just ended at the time I'm recording this episode. So Eid Mubarak to all the wonderful listeners out there who celebrate Ramadan. So that's an important point for the museum and really for all sites in Egypt. Ramadan will have reduced hours, but you can still visit if you plan accordingly. Ticket prices at the museum are usually about the equivalent of 10 bucks American or 10 euros. I think I said earlier, 
the museum's mummy room is an extra ticket inside and usually is about $15 or 15 euros or so. But you pay in Egyptian pounds there at the ticket window or the ticket desk. If you're a student and you have a student ID from an Egyptian university like AUC, American University in Cairo, where a lot of foreigners study abroad in Egypt like I did, you can use that to get a discount on entrance tickets of about half off. But if you're not a student at an Egyptian university, make sure you get and bring your ISIC card, your international student identity card with you. They're not supposed to accept student cards that aren't ISIC cards. Sometimes they may, but they're not supposed to. So don't get mad if you if you try and that doesn't fly. Just get an ISIC card. And if you're a student and you're traveling, you need an ISIC card. We all know that. And one last thing about leaving the Egyptian museum, and this is very important. When you exit, which you'll do from the side of the building on the lower level toward the back usually, you follow the walkway past what used to be the gift shop before it was looted during the revolution, never reopened. Unless they've reopened it more recently. You never know Egypt from month to month. Usually it's not open. But you also pass a little cafe, pass some restrooms, and then you walk back toward the front garden area near where you came in, and you exit through another gate along that front big outer gate. You'll see what I'm talking about when you're there. And here is where swindlers wait for you, like predators stalking their prey at the precise location where they emerge. Now, it's actually not that bad here. Not nearly as bad as the pyramids or a few other big sites, but this is a choke point for scammers when you exit the museum, the exit gate. So just be aware of anyone who approaches you here. In particular, there are a lot of quote unquote, or I'm doing air quotes, papyrus shops nearby um, in this downtown area. So salesmen for them love to hang out outside of the museum and lure tourists into coming over to their brother's shop or their uncle's papyrus shop nearby and sucker you into paying big bucks for authentic, air quotes again, authentic papyrus. Okay, don't fall for that bullcrap. If you really want papyrus art, go to the Kano Khalili, which is the big sucre market. Don't buy it from someone who lures you over to a shop right, right outside of the museum or at the pyramids. You can still get ripped off in the con, and we'll talk about that a little bit later too, because it's a must-see in Cairo, but don't buy it here. At the, don't buy it at a, a shop downtown in Cairo that you've been lured to by somebody. Just my two cents. During my very first week living in Egypt, by the way, back in 2003, two friends and I were just walking around downtown near this near the museum area. And one of these swindlers, his name was Sharif, I remember it very vividly, lured us into his shop in a nearby back alley. And good Lord, the sales pitch that man laid on us was like a pressure cooker. We literally, we each literally spent 20 bucks on one stupid little piece of crap papyrus that wasn't even worth a dollar just to get out of there. And he was still mad at us that 20 bucks is always spent in the shop. And 20 bucks is a lot of money in Egypt, especially for a cheap little two cent piece of papyrus. So I'm telling you from personal experience, this is a scammer choke point for ripping off unsuspecting tourists right here outside of the museum in the area walking around Tahrir Square downtown. Now, with all that said, if you do see some cute old men walking around outside the museum gates and their arms are full of papyrus and they're offering them to you for a dollar or two right there on the spot, I definitely would and have bought papyrus for them. Don't expect it to be high quality papyrus, but even, you know, it's souvenir quality papyrus, but it's only a dollar or two US. And if you see those guys, cute little old men walking around with papyrus right there, I'd say you can go for that. In fact, when I used to come home to the US for holidays, I'd sometimes walk over to the museum gates to actually look for these cute old guys selling the papyrus in the street there. And I'd buy five or 10 or so as gifts for cousins and friends back home. These guys aren't the pressure cooker scammers, like the more sophisticated ones that try to lure you back away to a shop so they can give you the whole song and dance. If these guys, the cute little old guys, if they pester you on the sidewalk outside of the museum and you don't want anything, they'll leave you alone after you give them one or two no thank yous. 
those are the good guys, not the guys who lure you away to a shop. Also, real quick on the same topic, if you don't have a prearranged guide with you and you pick one up inside the museum, inside the gates, as in you go through security and a guide approaches you and offers to show you around the museum there, these guys will often have an arrangement with a nearby shop to take tourists there for overpriced papyrus after they show them around the museum. They'll sometimes even tell you, I've seen them tell people it's the official museum gift shop they're taking you to because the one on site is closed and there's another one off site and they're taking you to it. That's not the case. There's no museum gift shop off site outside of the museum's gates. They're well meaning, but they're just trying to give you an upsell after their tour and make a little bit of extra money off commission. So just be aware of that practice and decide for yourself whether or not you want that add on with full information. Okay, so that about wraps up the experience of visiting the Egyptian Museum and all the basics you should know for your visit there. Also, keep in mind, too, things are subject to change, so plan for slight changes and roll with them if you experience them on any trip to Egypt. It's Egypt, and small changes happen, and, you know, itineraries get swerved a little bit, and it's all part of the fun and unpredictability of a trip to Egypt, really, and especially if you're going in alone, which I don't usually recommend either, but hey, some won't listen to everything I say, but hopefully most will listen to some, and everyone will still have a fantastic and fabulous and unforgettable trip of a lifetime there. I know I sure do every time I go back. Seriously, Egypt never, never gets old to me because there's so much to keep exploring, even after dozens and dozens and dozens, literally, of trips there over the years, not to mention living there for years, too. Going to Egypt, visiting Egypt, it never gets old. And with that, looks like I'm out. Until next time. Remember, you can always reach me for questions at john at egypttravelblog.com. That's J-O-H-N, john at egypttravelblog.com. Trust me, people email me there quite a bit, and they're always shocked at how responsive and thorough I am when I respond. I'm eventually going to do an episode on frequently asked questions I get to cover some of that stuff for the benefit of others. But don't be afraid to email me. I love this stuff. I love travel. I love Egypt. And I'm happy to share everything I know about it with you so that when you go there, you will have an awesome and safe and wonderful time and love it as much as I do. So again, that's john at egypttravelblog.com. And stay tuned for the next episode of the Egypt Travel Blog Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll see you soon.